Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Attention, Alexandre Lacanne. Oh oui Comment fêter cette cinquième journée avec Alex Lacazette This is Cast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, it's a goodly morning. Goodly morning to you and goodly morning to everyone at home. Yeah. It really is one today. It's, you know, a very welcome goodly morning. It's been the, it's the first one we've had for a little while and, you know... 400 it, years, it, I believe. It might be the last one we have for a little while as well. So uh, <laughs> just point everybody in the direction of the goodly morning Christmas card, which you can buy uh, via the link, which is in the show notes, and you can find it on arsblog.com on the post, uh, which contains this podcast, uh, the proceeds from which all go to the Arsenal Foundation. So I think this is called Striking While the Iron is Hot, um, mm. in sort of fear that the iron might become a bit cold at the weekend, but hey, let's not go there <laughs> straight away. Um, it was it was good. It was enjoyable. It was fun. It felt like real football, and that's me sitting at home watching it on TV. So before we get into the bits and pieces about the game itself, I'm curious as to what the experience was like for you, because you were one of the lucky people who was there in the ground last night watching Arsenal live for the first time since March. Yes, I was. And obviously I've attended games in the press box, but this was Mm. uh, in a ticket with the fans and a very, very different experience and a very welcome one too. I mean, to be honest, it was relatively relaxed. I was kind of Mm. thinking, you know, how... Um, how intense is the kind of security health element going to be? How clinical mm. might it feel? Basically, you turned up and you went through a, a kind of queuing system where you had your temperature taken and you were kind of individually searched. Um, it was, so it was a bit like maybe going to a, a European away game. How, how did they do the searching while maintaining social distancing? Did they have big, long Inspector Gadget arms standing two <laughs> metres away from you? Or like arms on stilts or something? No, they didn't. They <laughs> just had uh, stewards with masks who sure. would sort of run a scanner over you. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the hope is that the masks, masks are providing a sort of adequate barrier yeah. there. Um, then you went into the ground and that was sort of basically, uh, to be honest, pretty chilled out because there were so few people in such a big stadium. Mm. The kind of spacing 
is kind of uh, inevitable. I mean, you know, in the you didn't have to queue for a toilet ever. In a urinal, there'd be like I, <laughs> signs. <laughs> that occurred to me. I was watching the game and I was going, oh, man. This is one yeah. of those. This is one of the rare occasions where you think, "Oh wow, it'd be great if there was only two thousand people at every game because you'd never have to queue for the toilet at halftime." Exactly. Um, <laughs> but there were like signs in the urinals of like, you know, you may stand here, but you may not stand here, so that everybody was kind of mm. two meters away, and those were reserved, as far as I could tell. And then once you actually got out into your seat, initially I was like. I have to be honest, I walked out and initially I was underwhelmed because before kickoff, everybody was sat down. Everyone was quite spaced quite far out. Mm. And you, you realise that like people being close together is quite important for yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. Like I know that from my comedy life. Like if you go, <laughs> if the gig is undersold, you want to try and group people together because they don't laugh individually. Um, but I have to say, once the teams were out and once... You know, there was that nice moment before the game where the fan, uh, players came over to acknowledge the fans and vice versa. Mm. Actually, the atmosphere was really pretty good. And I think, you know, people embraced the fact that they were back in the stadium. It's not always a ground that's known for being particularly raucous. But I think given the small number of fans that were there, uh, they did a pretty good job yeah. of kind of keeping it going. Did that come across as yeah, on TV at it all? it really did because, you know, I, I was well aware that there were only 2,000 people there yeah. and I was kind of surprised by how noisy it was and there was some good chanting at times. Like, I really enjoyed the Your Support is Fucking Shit chant. That made me laugh yeah, a yeah. lot. Um, you know, uh, f- football fans and maybe Arsenal fans could be excused for lacking a bit of a sense of humour at this moment in time, but that was that was brilliant. So I, you know, what was it like in the ground? Because 2,000 people, you would think, in a 58,000-seater stadium would not come across as... Um, I suppose, uh, capable of making any kind of atmosphere, but they did. It really felt mm. like that to me via the TV. And maybe it's because, you know, since this started, I've only, you know, bar one or two small uh, occasions where I, you don't have the option, watch the game without crowd noise. So mm. any kind of real crowd noise, not the artificial stuff, sounds great. But it sounded to me like, you know, it, it, people were happy to be there and it, it did. it did seem to transmit itself to the pitch and also, you know, from that distance, we, we, you know, people living at home had to live vicariously through you guys who were actually mm-hmm. there. But it felt, it really felt different. It felt like a a proper football match. Um, yeah. It's been hard to sort of shake off the the artifice that we've experience for the last number of months where you know we, we all know football without fans is not football etc etc and all whatever buzzwords or, or catchphrases you want to use but it is so true and it hammered it home last night when there were actually fans there absolutely and for me it was a pretty it was a reminder that i saw that for me that's what football is you know that interaction between crowd and players is so mm. integral to me like I I think some people probably can appreciate you know purely the kind of competition aspect of the game you know the these elite athletes sort of you know contesting things but for me that element of the crowd had been missing so much and having it back it honestly was it transformed Mm. what I was watching and I say that as someone who's been to games you know and who's watched games and genuinely it was a completely different dynamic a completely different thing and 
I, I mean, listen, there's a lot of reasons Arsenal beat uh, Rapid Vienna last night. Uh, they're a, a much better team, for one. But I do think it gave that players a little bit of extra zip as well. But just speaking as a supporter, it was fantastic to be among it. I think, you know, part of the reason the noise was so good, people who were there desperately, desperately wanted to be there. Mm. You know, this might have been a fixture that you would given on your season ticket that you were kind of thinking, oh, God, yeah. I'm not sure about it. I've got to go to this game. Yeah, it's yeah. the league. It's a bit of a dead rubber. But people were so thrilled to be there. They got up at, you know, got in a queue at, online at half past eight on a Saturday morning to get these tickets. And you could see how happy people were to be back. And yeah, I mean, genuinely, they were singing all through. There was a couple of, probably a couple of moments in the 90 of sort of relative silence. And even then people were kind of doing the shh joke, you know. So there was always <laughs> that commentary yeah, yeah. Of, that fans provide a game. It was just so nice as well to hear a linesman repeatedly being called a cheating cunt by the man <laughs> next to me. I was like, I've really missed, you know, that. Uh, it, you know, every every aspect of it uh, made me feel sort yeah. of warm and fuzzy and festive. I was talking to Amy Lawrence this morning uh, on yeah. the phone and she was saying that there was a guy sitting behind them who was singing all kinds of songs, not necessarily the most supportive at times. He seemed to have a being right. responded about certain things, but just, she said it was just hilarious because that's part of what you miss from being inside a football ground. Just some random guy shouting random weird stuff at players and, and what have you. So yeah, look, it's, um, it is funny, isn't it, that you, you mentioned this is the kind of game that ordinarily people might be willing to sell their ticket on or literally give it away for nothing if they could do that. And and we've seen in Europa League group games before where, you know, uh, when you've qualified or where it's a kind of dead rubber, there's literally half the stadium is empty. And I think if there were 58,000 more tickets for last night's game available, they would have sold. Yes, absolutely. And I think something else that's really stood out to me, um, I mean, by the way, as a side note, there was a kind of ongoing battle between stewards and fans because stewards had clearly been told, look, for distancing reasons, it's essential these guys stay Mm. in their seats. And fans, understandably, did not particularly want to stay in their seats. They wanted to be on their feet, chanting and singing. Sure. So that that dynamic sort of played out across the game and it was almost like whack-a-mole. You know, they'd managed to get everyone down and then you know, a player would come out to warm up and everyone be up again. They'd be chasing around. Um, So that was actually quite funny to watch at times. But I, um, I also was struck by how sort of uniformly positive the in-game fans are. And that might seem like a strange thing to say, but because, because following Arsenal has been so much of an online discourse of late, you forget that even the players who aren't particularly popular inside the boundaries of that stadium, by and large, for Mm. the most part, they are kind of supported and cheered on. And it it sounds odd, but like, you know, the first name the Arsenal fans sung, and granted, it's because he's one of the few players out there who actually has a song, was Alexander Lacazette. Yeah. And that happened several times. And it's just interesting because, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, obviously all the fans hate Lacazette and that's just (laughs) how it is. But of course, within, within the confines of the stadium, whatever your analytical thoughts about the team, you get behind them. And it's sort of yeah. was an interesting reminder of that phenomenon. It was the same when Willian came out to warm up. It was like he got a huge reception and I was like, oh, it's the first time 
he's here with fans. Yeah, it, it just it was it was weird. To, it was it was almost strange and unfamiliar to be reminded of that thing of like you know within the the confines of the actual game, mm. the support is. And it, it, listen, it's not always that way. We've heard players booed and that kind of thing. But in theory, it's a sort of positive force, you know? I, I would love to to hear a player sit down and talk really openly about what the lack of fans has done for mm. uh, for them or how it's, how it's affected them. Because it really feels like... Um, it's it's tried to say that there's something missing. But, you know, here's an example. Let's say a player like Pepe try something he goes on a bit of a dribble and he loses the ball right yeah at the moment he's met with complete and utter silence maybe Mikel Arteta giving out a bit on the sideline but generally just complete and utter silence whereas when there are fans there they can appreciate the intent do you know what I mean the execution might not have been there and and it may not have come off with silence, do you feel like, well, shit, that's a complete failure and I'm not going to do that again because, yeah, it didn't work. But if you've received some kind of um, appreciation from the crowd because you drove forward, because you carried the ball, because you beat a man, you didn't quite get the cross in or whatever, and they're applauding that, does that have an impact on on how you play? I think there's something really interesting there in in terms of how it affects players and how it affects teams and I know it's the same for for every team and for every manager and every group of players and I'm not trying to make any excuses for us or anything like it but I do think it's it'd be really interesting to hear what a player thinks and I I suspect that it wouldn't be unreasonable to suggest that there are teams who it would uh, impact more for example like a team that is trying to build something or in a rebuilding process you know could that be um yeah. more easily accomplished if even if things aren't going particularly well you're you're feeling some kind of connection with what it is that you're trying to do you know yeah and maybe i don't know but maybe yeah. the bigger your stadium is the more the more the absence of fans will be felt you know yeah. as opposed to 60,000 people there urging you on uh, you might feel the difference all the more so yeah I, I do wonder about that and I do just wonder about kind of Arsenal's mm, passivity some of the time you know if yeah. the crowd are kind of a natural abrasion against that you know yeah what I mean? sure they, no I know exactly yeah. Uh, yeah I do wonder and I did feel I did feel like you know look these players wanted to show the fans appreciation and, and at times put on a bit of a show for them. And I, and I think they did. I mean, that's what made it such a nice thing to be at as well, that it was a a good performance and a good win. And I kind of, as soon as they came out, you know, before kickoff, they trotted over. And I thought, you know, Mikel Arteta's team talk for this must have been pretty simple. You know, I know he said afterwards he was really just focused on the, on the game and the technical aspects. But, you know, for those players to have the fans back... They must have wanted to mm. deliver them for for them. Sorry, you know. Yeah, and look, an early goal really helps, doesn't it? Well, I mean, at this sure. stage in Arsenal's season, any goal helps. Goal. <laughs> any kind of goal, early, late, whatever it is. But to score an early goal and for it to be a goal of that quality, um, I think really helps lift the mood, lift the confidence, uh, the responses there from the fans. And, you know, for it to come from a player who has, let's be very honest, struggled of late. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I mean, a a really positive start to the game. 
Yeah, and I tell you what, a, a proper uh, goal celebration as well, which was nice to see because they've kind of slowly faded out uh, over the course Have of- they? Well, of course, yeah. we haven't scored any goals, so we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't know, but <laughs> I, I've, apparently that is a general trend, yeah, speaking to other people, that celebrations have become less vigorous, shall we say. Right. And, um, yeah, it was a fantastic strike, and I like the positivity of it. I don't know how I'd feel if if Alex Renarsson concedes it at the other end, but not my problem for now. You know, I think he hit it well enough. He really, I mean, it took a, a real swerve, all right. It wasn't the greatest yeah. goalkeeping you've ever seen, but it was a hell of a hit, so we shouldn't take anything away from, from Alexandra Lacazette there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the second goal then. Pablo Marie, uh, his first game back, I, I guess a bit of a surprise start because we hadn't really heard about um, him being in contention other than he was just back in training. So there was no talk about him being involved no. um, playing on the left side of a, 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 the centre-halves with Mustafi on the other side. Um, Reese Nelson's set-piece delivery is bad, right? Mm. He, mm. got a, he got an assist, though, for Pablo Marie. Smart header and a really nice moment for him having spent so long on the, the sidelines with that injury. Yeah, it was a really nice moment for him. And actually, you know, as much as our delivery uh, was inconsistent, shall we say, at best, from corners and set pieces, he actually did provide a bit of a threat. There were a few occasions where he either got near things or got on the end of things. And I think that's an interesting kind of aspect to him that I'd not necessarily considered. I mean, he is a very tall guy. He is, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, there's another dimension to his play there. But just good to see him back. I mean, it was a good night on several fronts in that respect. I mean, obviously, Elneny and uh, Kalasnach had been in quarantine. Mm. But we saw Pablo Marie. And then later on in the evening, we saw uh, Callum Chambers as well. It, it, I genuinely, you know, had almost forgotten him in my sort of you know consideration of the squad. So that was nice to see. Yeah, you know, we we now have most of the massive collection of center halves available to us, which is yeah, which is good. <laughs> we can finally uh, unveil our our ten zero zero formation. <laughs> um, let me think. What else is going on in the game? I mean, it's a good first half. We played well. Did Lacazette hit? He hit the post. Um, mm. I think it was Reese Nelson. I mean, uh, I don't want to sound harsh about Reese Nelson's set pieces, but they are they are not really up to scratch, even though he got an assist for one. But I think, in general, his performance was was really quite good. He he made some chances. He was involved in the third goal. I think he set that one up for Lacazette when he hit the post. Um, you know, the the goal from Eddie and Kedia that was a nice move. That was nice, uh, nice football, nice layoff, and that was a very Enkedia goal, wasn't it? He missed the first chance, but kept going and and scrambled it home from from close range. Yeah, I mean, from my angle, and I, I've got, I've not seen the replay. It felt like he probably should have taken the first chance, mm. but it's a really good reaction once it's saved, um, and he'll be he'll be very pleased with that because you know he's got. Balogun kind of breathing down his neck and uh, he should be scoring in these sorts of games so for him to do so uh, it's great and I agree that Nelson he added some fluidity I mean I I, I liked the shape with which Arsenal played you know it yeah. was a pretty clear 4-2-3-1 um, Lacazette playing that deeper role I'm sure we've got some some questions we about do, that yeah, yeah. Uh, and I actually thought Pepe you know predominantly from the left hand side looked, you know, pretty comfortable there. I mean, the first time he played that in an Arsenal shirt, I was like, 
this guy can't play this position, you know, but he seems to be adapting to it a bit better. And I think that's a good thing for his game. You know, even if he is predominantly a right-sided player, being someone who's able to switch over in the course of a game to evade a marker or confuse the opposition, being able to go down both flanks is going to help him. So I I liked his performance too. You know, it's one of those where he never quite had the sort of finishing touch, but he always seemed a threat. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, not necessarily from from uh, from goal uh, chances. I mean, he did have one moment, I think, where he took a shot and maybe could have crossed it. But uh, uh, mm. Orbino on Twitter, Nicholas Pepe and Reese Nelson both set up five chances for teammates last night, the most by an Arsenal player since Mesut Ozil against Southampton in 2019. So, you know, it worked. It did work. Um, I don't know if you saw, remember we were talking last week or, or on Monday about the the pass map graphic and the sort oh, of yeah the the a vast the, improvement yeah the woeful horseshoe if you look at the uh, by the numbers column on Arsblog news scott has uh, produced a pass map for that which looks an awful lot more healthy um so i mean yeah i mean is is it just down to the quality of the opposition is it down to you know lack of pressure in this game what would you put that down to? Or do you think that's something Mikel Arteta was keen to address quickly after the Wolves game? I hope so. I mean, one of the things with Mikel is, you know, he, he never quite gives away his vision at the moment. So it's difficult to always know exactly what he makes of things. Yeah. But 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 I've seen the, that past map as well. And, it, it, you know, it sort of looks more like a diamond, doesn't it? Um, mm. And I think it's far better. Clearly, there's a connectivity between the midfield and the attack that just hasn't been there of late. Um, it, it provides some really interesting questions, you know, about what what from this game he might take forward. You yeah. know? And, and I'm sure we'll get onto that, especially with the Spurs game looming at the weekend. But he's got to be happier. And I think, I do think a lot of it is down to the opposition. I mean, I think... You know, this team are below the quality of what we tend to face in the Premier League, uh, and that helped us. But definitely, this kind of aggression with which we approach the game and our determination to get forward and attack and get the ball into dangerous positions is a factor in that too. You know, you can't put it down to to one thing entirely. One of the things I think that did help, and it was a bit of a surprise to me that that it happened, and that was Ainsley Maitland-Niles being played in midfield I you probably didn't see this but UEFA put up the the teams you know usually yeah. about 90 minutes before kickoff and I was looking at it and like they produce some weird formations uh, they have done this season they produce some very strange formation graphics to go with the right. team but this one was basically uh, 5-3-2 uh, the UEFA graphic. I had Maitland Niles as the left wing back. There was a midfield of Pepe, Nelson, and El Neni, I think, and then Lacazette and, and Kedi as two strikers. We know that's not how it played out, but that's what the graphic yeah, yeah. showed. And Maitland Niles didn't play there. He played in in midfield, and mm-hmm. he. <laughs> did you see the the BT Sport interview with him afterwards? I've not, no. Okay, sorry. I'm going to play this to you because he was asked about his, his role in midfield. I'd like to hear what you think about what, what he said. Okay. Here it is, hang on. 
playing in that midfield role as well. What attributes do you think you were able to show playing in a, in a different position today? Um, had a bit of legs in the midfield, you know. Got about, tried to tackle and win the ball back and get up and down the pitch and give us a bit more dynamics. So it was good. <laughs> okay. So, Not pulling any punches, I would that, say. Well, I mean, that is uh, what they, they call that throwing shade, I guess. Uh, yeah. In a very, very nice way, of course. But, you know, literally everything that he said there that he did or, or what he felt he brought to the team are the things that we feel some other members of the squad are kind of lacking, right? That we've been bemoaning. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting because I... You know, I, I kind of looked at the lineup and I thought, okay, we might have Maitland-Niles in midfield here. And there are different ways to interpret that. You know, either it could have been Mikel Arteta saying, you know, I, I believe in Maitland-Niles and I want to try him as a midfielder. But it's equally possible that he was just kind of making up the numbers, you know, that he had played Willock and Bios and Shaka in the league and wanted to stick someone else in there. And he was the guy that was available. And I have to say, I did see Mikel Arteta speaking after the game and he didn't seem, he was kind of offered the opportunity to praise Maitland-Niles. And I, my interpretation was that it felt like he uh, didn't seize it heartily. So I don't know what to think about Maitland-Niles' prospects in that position. What I do think is that he did really well. He played as like a proper box-to-box midfielder. I mean, uh, Elneny was often the deeper of the two, and Maitland-Niles was pushing on. And actually, you know, there were elements of his game that we saw when he played at left wing-back. I'm thinking of matches like Fulham away, where Mm. he was actually playing at times quite high, quite centrally, you know, pushing between lines. I liked a lot of what he did, and I think given how poor uh, our central midfield has been generally this season... I think he's absolutely entitled to feel that he deserves more of a chance. I mean, look. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, look, our our questions and timelines are filled with questions about Maitland Niles and should he be given a go in the Premier League and would you start him against Spurs in yeah. midfield, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I do think we have to take the opposition into account. You know, it, it's not Definitely. it's not really. Um, yeah, you can't ignore that side of it, you know. But what he did, I thought, was really was really impressive on the night. You know, he doesn't play that often in, in central midfield. Um, but when he does, he seems to do well. There's a sort of almost like a hint of Oxlade-Chamberlain in that sense. Do you remember, like, Oxlade-Chamberlain yeah, would very, good. very rarely be played in central midfield. But usually when he did, he was quite good. There were some standout performances in there. And, and people will say, well, why didn't he get a chance? Or why doesn't he get a chance in there? You know, I liked the uh, the intent with which he played. He's got pace. He can support the attack from midfield and still get back. I mean, the, the goal for Emile Smith-Rowe, when you look at the run he made to get beyond Nicolas Pepe, he's got pace. Yeah. You know, um, good delivery as yeah, well. Yeah, awareness. You know, makes the right pass. First time pass. I mean, I think in in the Premier League that would have been ruled out for for offside, probably. Yeah. But you know, let's not uh, worry about that. Given the goal was given, um, you know, the 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 run that he made through. I mean, how can you not admire a guy who takes the ball in midfield, runs at the penalty area? runs into it again and gets to the penalty spot and then tries to do one of his cool-as-you-like penalties with his left foot. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's, yeah. there was probably an easier finish for him there, but, you know, you've got to... 
I just love the, the 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 stones of that to try that kind of a finish with his wrong foot. He just looked at the penalty spot and went, "Oh yeah, I know what to do here." Dink. It didn't quite work, <laughs> but yeah. I, I liked a lot of what he did. And you know, if you if you see in our next Premier League game. Shaka doing what Shaka does, and I know Sabios came on and did well, uh, but again, you know, opposition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, if you see those guys do what they always do in our next Premier League game, you know, there's only so much of that you can take without wanting something different. So I, you yeah. know, I, like you, I'm not necessarily sure that Mikel Arteta views him as ready for Premier League in that position, but like at this point, I, I'd be willing to to give it a lash, you know. Mm, mm, so would I. I mean, I, I think a lot will depend on the fitness of uh, Thomas Partey. Thomas Partey, yeah, which is apparently he's back in training today. Mm. Um, if he comes through the next few days unscathed, I wouldn't be surprised if they rush him back into the side because we've desperately missed him since he's been out. But yeah, I, I listen, I, I agree that Maitland-Niles has done enough to put himself in contention for a place in the midfield. Personally, as I said last or whenever it was, Monday, I think I'd have him playing as a wing-back in this game. Yeah, I think he uh, will. I think he will play against Spurs, but I do think it'll be as a wing-back because I reckon we're going to go to that, uh, the, the back three. Yeah, I think I'd play him as the left wing-back. But um, we shall see. I mean, you know, I hope... Strange one, Maitland-Niles, isn't it? I mean, he was linked with the move away. He was kept, seemingly, because you know Arsenal really valued him. He's not had an enormous amount of football in the Premier League this season. He, uh, would, be, he would be in my squad every week. Not necessarily the first team, you know, um, but he would definitely be in my squad because he can play in so many positions. You know, he yeah. gives you so much cover from the bench even. You know, if you need a right back, if you need a left back, if you need someone to sit in midfield, if you need the auxiliary midfielder, he can play in that kind of, what would you call, what sort of role did he play last night as part of a double pivot or, or a sort of eight? You know, mm. he can play on the right wing. He has done in the past. There's so much versatility in him that you save yourself you know, course, yeah. um, whatever, having to use maybe two players to cover X amount of positions when you could use him all the time. So I, I feel like he he did enough last night to at least sort of force himself into that kind of consideration for, for Mikel Arteta. Um, Definitely. And yeah. I think he will play. I, I agree with you. I think he will play at Spurs. I think he should play. Um, but I think it might be as a wing-back. But listen, mm. I think this was a, a really good... Uh, night for him and I and I liked his role in that fourth goal and I was pleased for Smith Rowe I mean you know he is somebody who just has a knack of making contributions in the final third yeah. and we don't have too many players like that what did you I mean there was a lot of talk as there always is when the team came out about you know maybe not using more of of the young players how did you view that from from Arteta because you can look at it two ways you know what you're going to get from this senior player or that senior player. But I think he was also trying and hoping maybe that, you know, Lacazette might score a goal and mm -hmm. give himself a, a little bit of a confidence boost. Because whatever you think of him, yeah, I don't I don't see us going out and signing a striker in January. So no. as a team that is struggling for goals, when one of your strikers um, 
can start to maybe feel a bit bit of confidence again and, and has broken whatever drought it has been for him. I don't know how many games. I'm scared to kind of look it up, to be honest. Um, you know, there, there's that side of it too, isn't there? That these are the players that you're kind of going to have to rely on a bit more. As much as we all want and hope that Balagoon is going to be the guy and he's going to be the next hot striking sensation – you know he's maybe not ready yet for Premier League week in week out. Um, yeah. So I, I think- so you know that aspect of of team selection I think was was um, if perhaps a little uh, you know people want to see the young players and they want to see the young guys given a chance. But I can understand why to an extent he he chose the team he did. Yeah, I think he wanted to look at Lacazette in that position again as well. I, I think there's clearly an element of kind of periodization here. You know, I think in terms of keeping people ticking over fitness-wise, the introduction of Sabas and Willian would suggest as much. But I also think, you know, he brought them on in a game where Arsenal were really on top, probably to try and, you know, inject some form into those players or certainly some confidence. Um and I completely understand that because they're the people he's probably going to be picking from in the Premier League. I, I did sense, you know, a bit of frustration, uh, not so much in the ground, I have to say, but more mm. online about Balogun not getting more minutes, yeah. for example. Yeah, we've a, um, there's a question here from Tom, uh, who's at Tom underscore ASCD. So 60 minutes gone, 3-1 up, game over, group one. What do we gain from bringing on Willian and Ceballos as subs? Like, you know, is this not the moment to give uh, Miguel Aziz, you know, a run out for 30 minutes? Is it not the the time to give Balagoon 30 minutes, et cetera, et cetera? Mm, mm. You can what do understand. You think? I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it, but I I, I kind of feel like um, he, you know, like. Sabios was terrible in our last game. He came on, did quite well. If that gives him a bit of a lift, okay. Willian has been terrible. If Willian comes on and does something substantial, you know, going into a big game on Sunday, yeah, you know, if he maybe that's home a free maybe, kick or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe turn the corner. That's the, the the sort of the benefit of that, you know. But I I understand it as well. I mean, we're playing Dundalk next week, and I want to see a team of embryos out there. You know, I don't. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I want to see all the young guys. You know, let's see Callum Chambers. Let's give another game to Pablo Marie to get him back up to speed. But let's see the young guys. Let's see. You know, some of them perhaps who have been on the fringe of things, at least on the bench, so they could come on and make a difference. You know, mm, mm. winning or losing against Dundalk doesn't make any real difference. You know, it's not like it's going to halt our momentum or anything like that, because after every Europa League game so far, bar one, we've kind of had a bad result, haven't we? Like... We beat yeah. Rapid Vienna, then lost to Leicester. We beat Dundalk, then we beat Man United. We beat Mulder and lost to Aston Villa. We beat Mulder and lost to Wolves. So we've beaten Rapid Vienna, and hopefully on Sunday we can, um, you know, do what we did at Old Trafford away from home and dig in and get a get a good result. But you know, the Europa League isn't the thing that is sort of sapping our confidence or anything like it. No, and just on the Balogun thing, I do think that Arteta is probably thinking he wants to strike a balance. You know, he wants to sort of dangle the carrot of first-team football Mm. and opportunity without going all in, because at this point, 
his future is still not certain. You know, this is a mm. guy who hasn't signed a contract and ultimately Eddie Nketiah is under long-term contract with the club and is probably, you know, seen, what, even if people may have concerns over sort of the limits of his potential as a valuable asset. And yeah. every goal Nketiah scores is a good thing for Arsenal because either it brings him closer to being a first-team player or it yeah. makes him someone with a, a better transfer value. Sure. You know, I mean... yeah, yeah. If we make a decision on him at the end of the season, it's that he's going to go, but he's managed to score, I don't know, 10 to 15 goals this season across various competitions. There's going to be demand. Mm. There's going to be a greater transfer fee. So with Balogun, look, yeah, I would have probably liked to see a bit more of him, but I do understand, you know, sort of having the reins on slightly and saying, look, you know, this is what you this is what you could win, essentially, if you sign the deal. Yeah. Um, Aziz, his time will come. You know, he looks like a really exciting prospect, but I'm sure yeah. his time will come. I'm, I, I do think that, you know, maybe on this aspect of kind of young players getting a chance, I think sometimes maybe we're a bit harsh on Arteta. You know, I do think if you look at the squad, there are a lot of players around the squad who are getting minutes who are, you know, under 21, 22. Um, and I think that's encouraging. Uh, the one I'm really fascinated to see, by the way, is is what he does with Martinelli because I saw him this week really talking up what Martinelli offers you know in terms of his pressing his desire Mm. his work rate his ability but my recollection is that he didn't really pick him with any great consistency well he Martinelli appeared in nine of the 15 games that we played under Arteta before lockdown so it's not okay. as if he wasn't used. I mean, maybe he didn't start all of them, but or he definitely didn't start all of them. But, you know, he did use him. I think there's this myth that he just sort of sidelined him, sidelined him completely, and that's, that's not the case. I, I yeah. do wonder, I mean, I do have this feeling um, that maybe Arteta is, in a, in a strange kind of way, overprotective. Of, of yes, young players, maybe so. I, I don't know if that's even the right word. I think what he's really um, cautious of is not damaging them in the early stages of their career. And we've seen, obviously, something is going on with William Saliba, and you may point to one or two others, and we'll see how Martinelli is used. I think, you know, he did talk very highly about Martinelli, but he also said, look, we have to be careful with him. You know, you can't expect him to come in and do it week in, week out. You know, he hasn't done it. You know, he was, he was, he he tempered his praise of him with um, basically saying he needs time. And that's Mm. reasonable. I think that's a reasonable outlook on many young players. But I can't help feeling that in the back of my mind, like what what would what would a nineteen year old Mikel Arteta have thought if a coach had said that to him? You know? What did Mikel Arteta do at a very early age? He left Barcelona, didn't he? You know, mm. he left because mm. he wasn't going to get the chances and, and what have you. And he went to, was it, did he go to PSG? PSG first, then Yeah, he Rangers. went to PSG and then he went to Rangers and he played regularly at Rangers. And, you know, he went then to Real Sociedad and he then went to Everton. He went where he was going to be played as a young player. So I think there's a balance to be found perhaps between his natural and quite understandable desire not to cause a young player damage, but also the need to give them the opportunities to play so they feel like they're involved and they can develop and they can develop with us to become what Mm. we want them to be rather than thinking, well, if I need to play, I got to go somewhere else. 
Yeah, that's a very fair point, I think. Uh, and he does need to strike that balance. I mean, it's interesting, you know, you look at someone like Bukayo Saka and mm. uh, I feel like he's willing to kind of give him, you know, the game time. And then sometimes... But but, but he does pull him out here and there. And, you know, towards the end of last season, after he signed the contract, there were mm. games where he kind of sat him down for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, it does seem something that he's... Um, aware of and I think it's a difficult balance to strike you know we have seen players overexposed at young ages as well at Arsenal uh, and physically that has taken its toll so yeah yeah a tricky one for him but I, I I didn't have huge issues with his management of the of the game last night look we won 4-1 you yeah. know I know. Well, that helps. That really does help. It really does. Okay, well, look, I'll tell you what we'll do is we will take a short little break here and we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Dexter. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Also, if you are a Patreon member, we will have a Spurs preview podcast for you later this afternoon. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will be uh, looking at what they're going to do, what we might do and talking about the game in general. If you want to sign up, it's a fiver a month patreon.com forward slash arseblog before we get into the questions james i just want to mention the um the thing we were doing the other week on twitter with the hashtag arsebiz so look it's mm. coming up to christmas loads of people are looking for gifts and things to get and there are obvious places where you can get them but what we've done is we've put together a site filled with businesses and creators and artists and musicians and writers and gift makers and crafts and services all run by fellow Arsenal fans. You can filter them. You can filter them by the type of business 
business they are, by the location, so you can find something close to you. Uh, and if you are going to spend some money, maybe you could spend it there with these guys who are uh, fellow Arsenal fans. You can help support their businesses. All you have to do is just visit the site. It's arsebiz.arsblog.com. That's arsebiz.arsblog.com. There are uh, at least a couple of hundred there now. We're still taking submissions for more. Um, it's completely free of charge to get your business listed. So if you are looking for some Christmas shopping, have a look, see what you might be able to find and, uh, you know, keep the money circulating in red and white. That might be nice. Yeah, that's a really great initiative and some really cool stuff there. All right. Um, right. Right. Down to business Down of to a different business. sort. Yes. Can I go first? Yeah. Um, lots of people... Mm-hmm. Asked about Alex Lacazette. Lots of. I'm accounts. sure you've got some. <laughs> Sorry, you know, you know that clip from Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots of people name their swords. Lots of cunts. So anytime anyone says lots of anything, all I can think of is lots of cunts. Right. You're not just calling all the listeners cunts. Absolutely not. So Luke and Lottery. <laughs> Luke and Lottery is one of these questions. Says, could Lacazette in a number ten role be a solution? His link up play with Aubameyang could be what we're missing. And, yeah, plenty of questions on that theme, really. I don't know. I don't really see it at Premier League level. Mm. You know, I, I think, again, he was really good last night. I thought, like I said, it was the best game he's had for quite a while. But, you know, opposition, opposition, opposition. You know, it's the football equivalent of location, 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 just so you know. Um, you know, I just think at, at, at Premier League level, there isn't enough space. The players who you would be dealing with in those areas of the pitch are are much stronger and quicker and faster and dynamic. And I think, you know, he has looked a bit heavy-legged of late. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think, you know, he did play some good passes and, and everything else, but I just don't think he's got the, the speed of movement and thought to do it in that position in the Premier League. Like, Let me ask you another question then. Go on. Who have we got that would be better? Well, I don't know that we have the right player for that position available to us in the right. squad right now. Mm. Um, no, I, I would agree with that, but I, th- I wonder. I suppose I, I, I agree with you that it, it's a very different kettle of fish playing that in the Premier League and everything that entails. But given the um, paucity of connection between midfield and attack, I am almost of a mind to say that having somebody stood in there might be better than nobody. Nobody, sure. Yeah, I mean, I do. I do get that. But if the somebody is not really suited to that position, is it not like the the creative equivalent of sending Per Mertesacker up front for the final 15 minutes when you need a goal? Chris Samba starting up front for Blackburn. Yeah. Um, it might be, but I mean, I, I genuinely, it's quite desperate times, I think. And... You know, I, I think that um, when we play Joe Willock in that position, there are aspects of it that don't suit him too. I um, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think the ideal player is is in the squad right now available to mm-hmm. us. You know, there's um, an elephant I mean, in the room, I, of course. You know, but he's not yeah. available. Do you think 
Lacazette will start at White Hart Lane? Because I have a sneaky feeling that he will, and I think it will be Aubameyang on the left again. Yeah, I, I think it will be that. And I think... Well, I think slash hope that Lacazette, although he ostensibly starts centrally, he does a little bit what he did in uh, certainly the Liverpool game last season in the Premier League at the Emirates where he was a little bit deeper centrally with <laughs> with players springing in behind, you know, like... Um, mm. I mean, well, I mean, I hope yeah. that's not like any kind of blueprint because, you know, I remember that game when we were fucking terrible. We were, we were, <laughs> but I think that the front three, the orientation of the front three actually worked relatively well. I mean, it's what Spurs do very, very well with Harry Kane, you mm. know, where he pl- he plays on the halfway line half the time. Um, if we had Pepe available, I'd feel more confident about that as a system because, you know, you'd be releasing Aubameyang and Pepe as it is. Mm. You know, chucking a ball in behind for Willian is not quite... Uh, the same thing I mean I mean, the other thing to say by the way about this playing Lacazette as number 10 is the other player who could play there is is potentially Willian um, mm. and we've seen it for about 20 minutes and it wasn't bad um, and I know that technically he's probably more secure than Lacazette it's a low bar low bar it is a low bar yeah. but we, we don't have that player available um, and you know, we've probably got one unavailable. But I think I think Lacazette will definitely play against Spurs for sure. Yeah. But, but I just don't know quite where if it'll the, be. That that that, that role is only there when we play with a back four. And we're uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're advocating really and we think that it's gonna be the back three. Which you know is completely understandable when you look at our form. I mean, it is a game that we really cannot afford to lose. Mm. We just cannot afford to lose this game. I don't, you know, think this is so much... Look, it's wrong to say that um, a game against Tottenham isn't about winning because it is, obviously, and that's what we all want. But I, I feel like this is a game he cannot afford to lose given what's come previously you know so I you know when you look at how we played in big games against actual big opposition I don't want to put Tottenham in that category um, you know it's worked and we've been more solid and and to me that is the thing which gives me a little bit of comfort going into Sunday you know our form is terrible we haven't been playing very well they have been playing very well but if you go into it and look at it almost like a cup tie or a cup final or something like that. You know, nobody gave us a a real chance, did they, about going to Old Trafford and winning the game for the first time in 16 years. We went and we did that. And that's sort of come between, you know, a number of performances which which haven't been great. So my my silver lining, my ray of hope, whatever you want to call it, is the fact that when it comes to these big games, we usually turn up. Yes, we normally do. We have done, certainly. And it's not long ago that we went to Old Trafford and won. You know, it's worth remembering that. Um, And I think we will fall back on that system and that way of playing. Uh, And if it gets us even... If it gets us even a point, I think that will feel like a good result, actually, in the circumstances. Um, 
I, I, I've heard a lot of Arsenal fans say, well, you know, because it's a big game and because it's this opponent and because we can operate in that formation and that style, you know, they're less concerned. I'm still pretty concerned. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm not worried about it. Of course I am. Yeah. You know, if you were full of confidence and you'd come in, you're going into this game on the back of five or six successive wins and you were playing really well, you know, why wouldn't you feel confident? Conversely, mm-hmm. when you're going into this game on the back of performances in which you've really, really struggled and you've been beaten at home in three successive games and, you know, they're flying high, why wouldn't you be worried? Everybody should be worried. I'm just saying... Um, as much to comfort myself, James, and to keep my my own uh, fear in check, that yes. this is the thing which gives me um, gives me a little bit of hope. You know, talk to me at sixteen twenty nine on Sunday, and I'm probably going to be a lot more nervous <laughs> than I am right now. And when you say it's a game you can't afford to lose, I mean. Do I, mean? I don't mean that in, in terms of the, like, well, if he loses it, he's going to be sacked or anything like that. Right. I just mean that to arrest the the the, the form that we've had in the Premier League. Yeah, it's a huge game. It's, it's a, a huge, huge game. game. You just, yeah. you know, you've got to kind of put a cork in it and, like, use it. You know, if we win, we can talk about that game being a turning point in the season and everything else. Right. But even if we draw the game, we can say, okay, right, we've, you know, draw away from home in a derby. You know, we've had those in the past and, you know, you always want to win, but it's not a bad result in the context. Um, It's just one of those where in order to start making progress, we have to stop what's come before. And even not losing will go some way to doing that. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, look, if Arsenal win that game, their Spurs are currently top, bear in mind, and Arsenal are 14th. If Arsenal win at White Hart Lane, we are five points off Spurs. Um, mm. You know, it, it, it really changes the complexion of things. If we lose, sure. you know, it's going to feel pretty shit. It sure is. Um, okay, here's a question from Naming Rights Available, uh, hmm. who's at It's Mr. Plough. Uh, He says, Cedric and Nelson attacked well together. Is Cedric proving his doubters wrong? His game seems more suited to the progressive technical system that Arteta favours. Good in tight spaces and good on crosses. Is he moving into first 11 contention? Yeah, there was another question on the Discord about this from The Land, who says, remember when Arteta says Cedric was the most technical of our right-backs? I think I agree. Close control, two-footedness, passing, crossing, creative... He's not as good as Hector, but when we're struggling to create against a low block, I don't think he's the worst option. What did you think of him in this game? I thought he was uh, decent, you know, as I kind of always do. I've never watched Cedric at Arsenal and thought, this guy's awful or appalling or, you know, well short of the standards of Premier League football. And he never makes me feel like Kolasinac, for example, sometimes does, Mm. where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure you can you know, play uh, technically at this level, like the passing and the close control is is just not there. I think Cedric um, was absolutely fine, but I just, I I don't know. And listen, I hold my hands up. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe there's a bias in me as a fan because I have have my own sort of concerns and aggravations about that particular signing. Um, But he, I, I, I will find it difficult ever to not be underwhelmed by him um, and I just have to own up to that really what yeah. about you I think he is what he is you know a pretty average player 
who is uh, in games like this absolutely fine. I think that's perfect. He's absolutely yeah. fine. But there must be a reason why he hasn't played a minute of Premier League football this season. Mm. He was only in the squad. I think Wolves was the first game in which he was actually in the Premier League squad. So, right. look, as backup, as Europa League kind of level stuff in the group stages, absolutely fine. Beyond that, though, I don't think, you know, he, he's the guy. If people want an upgrade on Hector Bellerin, I get that. I mean, there are a few players in this team, regardless of how much I like them, that I wouldn't take an upgrade on. That's mm. the reality. Mm. But it, mm. he's not the upgrade. For me, that's that's where it is. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I basically agree with you, but I, I would reiterate, he's absolutely fine for these sorts of games. And, you know, if it spares the legs of, of, of our first-team players, then mm. I'm all for it. Uh, before, um, you, before you ask a question, yeah. um, did they have a new stadium announcer last night? Good question. I, d- I didn't notice that, actually. I think it's a different voice. I, I've noticed that during uh, during other games, for sure. Um, I've noticed it pre-fans uh, in like lockdown that the voice has been different. And I assumed it was just because, you know, there's only so many people they can clear to get into the building. And so they hadn't, you know, made, brought back the original voice. But I'm, I, I'd have to check that out. Yeah. But it does seem like it's somebody different, yeah. Okay. If anyone knows, drop us a tweet or an email or whatever anyway sure um samuel Wahlberg uh touches on a bit of negativity from last night's game what is more offensive pablo maria's captain or playing in blue <laughs> at home <laughs> well there was also a question on the facebook who says uh, from alan levermore who says i was sorry not to see us in our first kit last night uh what with the fans in etc etc i've been led to believe this was a diktat of uefa do you know anything about this protocol apparently it's because both the rapid vienna away kit and, and home kits clashed with um our away kit and home kit the white right. shorts or something or whatever it was clash with our well, white shorts. Well, make them play skins or something. This, you know is, I mean? I, this is going back to like Burned Leno wearing yeah. the away kit. It's, it's a shambles. It's out of control. It is. Situation. 2020 is like, it's spiraling big time right now. So uh, <laughs> This is the low point of 2020. Um, no, I think it's kind of crazy, right? And it's such a shame, I think, that we had fans back in the stadium, home game, and we weren't playing in red and white. I know it won't matter to some people, but it did bother me. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it seems mad. Like, surely like surely Rapid kit- Vienna could have got some kind of kit together that didn't... Like, you know the way sometimes we um, have played away... Ge- or. Uh, we've played away games in Europe and we've worn red with red shorts and a mm. couple of times we wore red with blue shorts. Why but couldn't they have like, just worn some fucking green shorts? But also, if we've got a red shirt and white shorts and they've got a green shirt and white shorts... Can't have the white shorts. Can't have the the shorts. I hear, I hear what you're saying, but, like, I think that's mental. Like, you can tell who's who. Don't you think? 
Oh, I, I, I don't disagree. I don't think shorts is really an issue, but it is no. part of it, isn't it? I know it's in the... What I'm saying is I think the rules are a bit over the top here. You know, I, I'm sure in the past, teams that had white shorts played each other if they had different... And, you know, in the, in the appropriate kits, if they had diff, completely different shirts or different socks. Mm. It does feel like a very arbitrary kind of thing. Um, and also, like... If that's the case, it's the same for both players, for both sets of both teams, you know? Mm. Like, it's not like it's handicapping one. Uh, they'll both be as baffled by the white shorts as each other. Is it to do with the referees the and the officials? Maybe. Yeah, must be. Fucking right. But I don't like it. No, I agree with you. I don't like it either. And I think it should be... There is a different thing, though, isn't there, that for European games to do with mm. the kits I don't know mm. also um, I think uh, the Pablo Marie thing was quite interesting because Lacazette was substituted off and this may have just been my perspective on it but I was pretty sure he was going over to Mustafi he did he gave it to Mustafi and then Mustafi came off and he gave it to Pablo Marie oh that's what happened yeah. Mustafi came off I missed that uh, in my excitement of it all. But uh, yeah, so it was Mustafi was captain, then Pablo Marie. I mean, I guess what other options were on the pitch then at that point? Kalasinac? Mm. Would you, you know, would people be okay with Captain Kalasinac? Um, He's been there long. Could have given it to Callum Chambers when he came on. Mustafi came off and Chambers went on. They could have done the armband swap. Then. Yeah, that that would have been all right. That would, would have been, been more then. sensible, wouldn't it, than a guy who's only played <laughs> four games for us. But I'm not sure, like, you know, uh, being captain for 19 minutes in one game is going to go down on Pablo Marie's CV as, like, Arsenal captain. No. You know? No. I mean, it's, I guess, you know, Maitland-Niles was still on, wasn't he? But, mm. uh, yeah, I, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I I I had in my so how long was Mustafi? Mustafi was on for seven minutes as captain, so I had sort of missed that window somehow. Mm. But I had thought something weird had gone on. Wait, giving it to Mustafi, and he hadn't want to take it. Blah 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 yeah. blah. blah. Um, but you know, clearly, and sometimes I think when you're on your second or third captain, it does just feel like sometimes they're just giving it to the bloke nearest to them. I think that's I mean? precisely what that was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, whose question is it? Yours? No, it's mine. Uh, it's yours. Radiohead Tim, who's at Radiohead Tim, says, and this is obviously informed by some things that happened during the week, should we try for Olivier Giroud on a short-term, a short-term deal in January? <laughs> I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I uh, mean, the answer is obviously no, but, you know. Yeah. Although, you know, I did kind of find <gasps> myself thinking... You know, without wishing to relitigate everything, I do think that six months in which we bought Lacazette and Aubameyang mm. and sold uh, Giroud, you know, that is arguably well, it's certainly questionable. I think as transfer strategy, not so much the getting rid of Giroud. Actually, I know that you know he had his time with us and he wanted to move on and play more regularly, but I do wonder if. You know, let's say we'd never bought Lacazette and we'd really gone all out for Aubameyang that previous summer. I do feel like Aubameyang and Giroud as a kind of pair of strikers has a much more natural balance. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
I'd agree. I think in hindsight, we could look back and say we did that wrong. You know, mm. you buy a 50 million pound striker, then you go and buy a 55 million pound striker six months later. It doesn't speak to a, a, a joined up thinking, does it, when it comes to your recruitment? No. And then, of course, there was the the Alexis and Mkhitaryan thing and everything else. So, yeah, it was a strange, difficult kind of um six months there and hindsight is 2020 of course but I think if you were to look back and say what would have been the best way to do it it would have been to bring in Aubameyang during the summer keep Giroud yeah. never spend the money on on Lacazette and what you have is you know two very different strikers and you have a very very definite plan B um, mm, you know because I exactly. think Giroud is the perfect kind of off the bench option he's mm. the Europa League guy I mean, maybe he wouldn't have been happy to stay in those circumstances, but he didn't sort of go to Chelsea and and play week in, week out, you know, every week since he's been there. He's been in and out of the team. So, you know, yeah. Anyway, look, it is what it is. Yeah, and listen, he he does this, you know, January trumps when it rolls around, he starts looking good, maybe agitating for a move. I think he'll, I bet he'll stay at Chelsea. I think they'll Mm. give him a bit more game time. And ultimately for him, I think it's about his France place. And I just don't see France not using him you know he's made himself so integral to the way they play I reckon he could probably sit on the bench for six months and he'd start for them in the Euros so but you know uh, credit to him he is a guy who his whole time in England has been faced with questions and doubts and actually more often than not he has kind of bit back against those and uh, you know I do have to take my hat off to him even if it irritates me seeing him do so well at Chelsea yeah Um, what about this from Leo who's at Leonardo AFC and Leo says uh, with the reintroduction and high praise from Arteta for Pablo Marie Chambers and Smith Rowe does the need to sell in January become bigger than the need to sign looks to me that a couple of departures could do wonders for squad balance and getting rid of some deadwood is always positive Um, look I, I think if we can sign players in January that would be very welcome um, it would be great to add something to midfield, which I think is very clearly our biggest issue. If we can add a, a attacking slash creative kind of midfielder to the mix, I think that would be very, very welcome indeed. Look, we're overstocked on centre-halves. The issue is the ones that I suppose we could sell um, are going to leave anyway. Like Mustafi, Socrates, they're going to go. What do we do with Callum Chambers, Rob Holding? Rob Holding's played a lot. William Saliba's probably going to go on loan, uh, even though there is talk about us trying to buy a right-sided centre-half, isn't there? I think um, David Ornstein was was talking about that. Um, I don't know where these guys are all going to play. I mean, they clearly can't, can they? Because at the moment you've got um, this plethora, this collection of centre-halves, but we're going to lose a couple anyway in the summer. If you can move one of them uh, on in January, like, do you give Socrates a free transfer in January? I, I, you know, I think you probably do. I think if there's takers for any of kind of Socrates, Mustafi, um, did you <laughs> Mustafi being linked with Barcelona again? I mean, who knows what they're up to out there? Wouldn't put it past them. But yeah, I think. Um, I, I think I, th- I think it would be wise to move a cup one or two on if we can definitely and and you know Arteta's making noises like 
he would like to see the squad strengthened and it feels like goals from midfield is sort of the priority. Um, but centre-half is where we've got this big circle. Mm. So, I mean, the squad is unbalanced and we need to find a way to correct that. Mm. So, yeah. I'm hopeful we can get get rid of one or two, but I just don't think it's going to be easy. You know, I play, part of people are going to want to take a Mustafi now when they could wait six months and take him for nothing. Or, you know what yeah, I mean? It's but not I mean, a- again, if you're, if you're being sensible and you think you've got enough, let's say you think with Chambers and with Holding and with Louise, you've probably got enough cover for the right-hand True. side. If something comes in for Mustafi, even if it's a free transfer, you might, you know, even a nominal amount. And if you're not going to name Socrates in the squad again, give him a free transfer. Let him go. You know, if somebody comes in and offers him whatever, you know, you're not looking for a fee for a guy that's not been in your squad for five months. You know, well, there's it's no saving money. us money on yeah. the wages, you know. Yeah. Much like uh, Southampton saved the money on Cedric. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay. Here's one from the Discord from John Foster. He said, Morning, chaps. Last week, Arteta talked about us wanting to start or wanting to start from a a 4 4 3 formation, but being five or six players short. Using my razor sharp maths, I've worked out that he can only be comfortable with five or six of our current first team. Who do you think those players are? Whatever way I work it, there's some big names I have to leave off the list so yeah do that bit first and then I want to ask you about the the 4-3-3 just uh, in general yeah I I found that an interesting um, comment I mean you you said that actually on Monday didn't you where you talked about are we do we have a plan and the plan so much as it is or where where it's written down is is 4-3-3 so yeah he did me a big favour coming out saying that publicly but I mean you don't need to be a genius to, to work that out I think five or six players short um, I think he's got a good goal, goalie, so I'd say that's one that he trusts. I think Gabriel and Tierney certainly are two and three. Uh, Partey for sure, four. Um, Bamiang, Bamiang five. I'm in my head. I'm sort of deliberating Bellerin. Um, yeah, I, I think, think may, yeah, maybe I think he Bellerin. Would Bellerin, yeah. I think Bellerin and then... Saka. Maybe Saka. And that's seven, which would leave you four short, actually. But I guess maybe with Saka, there's that caveat of, you know, he's a young guy and mm. you just want to play him every single week. I think they're the ones who are sort of, um, you know, set in stone right mm. now. What do you think the players will have thought about Mikel Arteta saying, look, to play 4-3-3, he he used that word again, specificity, um, which is quite a difficult word to say. Um, But he used that, he said, you need that and we need five or six more players to make that happen. Do you think the players that, that he has are going, well, I'll show him. I'll show him that I've got all the specificity that he needs to play in this 4-3-3 formation. Or is it like, oh shit, he kind of thinks we're kind of thinks we're a shit. I think it probably the latter. I think probably, <laughs> I genuinely do. It's like, it's not what you want to read, is it? People no, just want to be told, um, <laughs> you know, I've got great players here, but I'm not sure we do have players that are as good as we might like. And, uh, you know, I, I, at least Arteta seems realistic. 
about that. Yeah. And I don't think it's like he's not working with the guys he's got and not trying to get more out of them. And maybe some of them have potential to step up and become, you know, one of these untouchables. Um, but it doesn't... I, I agree with him. I mean, like, you know, I found that quite an easy exercise to be like, yeah, this who is the, the half of the team who are the ones. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, do, would you have agreed pretty much? Yeah, exactly. That's what I would have picked. I, I would sort of have put Willian in there simply not because I like Willian, but because he uses Willian a lot. And I think he views him as somebody who could I play. I think that was his intention. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it was. it's quite interesting, you know, the the idea that, you know, a manager has this idea of how he wants to play, but has to adapt to the players that he's got. And that was part of what, you know, um, Unai Emery did to an extent. It was really interesting. I was listening to Jamie Carragher's podcast with right. Jonathan Woodgate, who was sacked as manager of Middlesbrough. And he yeah. talked about, you know, he was saying, uh, Carragher was asking him about how he wants to play the game. And he said, look, I really want to, really want to play out from the back. That's my philosophy. And after a while, I realized they can't do it. These players just can't, they can't do it. We were, mm. we, he said, we were playing a preseason friendly or whatever it was. And I went in at halftime and I said, look, guys, we're not going to, we're not going to do this playing out from the back thing anymore. And he said, I talked about the pitch and I talked about the conditions. I didn't want the players to know that I right. thought they couldn't do it. But he said, I, I just knew that they couldn't play the way I wanted them to play. So it's quite interesting that, you, you know, you have these ideas and you have this philosophy. And I suppose you have this picture in your mind of how you want your team to operate and how you want them to play. But if you don't have the players to fit that philosophy, you've got two options. One is you sort of shoehorn players in and hope they can do as well as they can and hope you can last until you get the players that you need and you're given time to get the players that you need. Mm. Or you shift things around a bit and you do it differently in a way which gets the most out of the players that you do have available to you. Yeah, I mean, I find it interesting as well. I don't know, you know, we obviously live in a sort of global media situation, but Arteta did give this interview to a Spanish journalist. Mm. And I wonder if he would have said it as explicitly um, in mm. an English press conference. I don't know. But it's interesting because I find that element of Woodgate sort of saying, you know, there's a difference between what you infer and what you actually communicate to the players. Um, it's, it's, it, I also, there was another part of the interview where he talked about, I don't know if you saw, he talked about kind of short-term, mid-term and long-term plans. And he was like, long-term we want to be able to compete for trophies. You know, we want to be in the Champions League consistently. Um, but the midterm was just mm. like, we want to improve. Hang on, I've got it here. Experienced improvement in the way we play our style and the DNA of the club. And short term is just to compete, uh, keep competing like we have in every game and improve every phase of the game. Um, that's where we have to aspire to now to be at the end of the season. Mm. You know, it's not. It makes me think that he a has assurances that this is a longer term project, and b that he's not hugely alarmed by sort of the short term concerns. And I actually derive some confidence yeah. from that, even if it's quite painful. Yeah, he has um, made the point, and you could be cynical and say, "Well, any manager whose team is playing poorly and." Yeah 
isn't getting results is going to say, I need time. Of course. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that that's quite true with Arsenal. You know, there's a lot yeah. to put right. And he, you know, has said it more than once. He said it when he first came in. And, and he sort of said it not just about the team, but about a lot of aspects of the club. You know, mm. the way that the club is being run and, and everything else. So, like we talked I about, I think if they've gone all in on him, they've gone in on him with the belief that he will be given the time to turn things around. They think he can do it, obviously, because you don't give someone time if they don't think he can do it. But they're obviously confident in the vision that he has for uh, turning things around. Yeah, and I think one of the things that came out of this game against Vienna is that one of the things it made me think is, you know, given how poor we've been going forward in the Premier League, I think there has been this kind of characterization of Arteta that almost almost it's become exaggerated to the point where it's like, well, he doesn't even want to attack. You know, he's just obsessed by defence and obsessed by structure and doesn't care about, you know, goals or entertainment. Mm. And I think when the playing field is sort of in his favour and when, you know, clearly he put out a team against uh, Vienna that was set up to attack and score goals and did. It's not the case that that's not something that's on his agenda. Uh, yeah. It's clearly just something he doesn't feel able to implement successfully in the Premier League at the moment. And the question then becomes, yeah, how much time do you give him to do that? But mm-hmm. I think it's encouraging that, you know, he is finding attacking solutions in games where, you know, uh, the momentum, the strength is with us. Um, I suppose the challenge now is to kind of try and manufacture that in the, in the Premier League. Well, let's hope he starts on Sunday because yes. that will be very, very welcome indeed. Um, so, yeah, look, I think we've done en- enough for today. We can look forward to Sunday uh, as much as that's possible on the blog and on the website over the weekend. And, of course, we will have the preview podcast exclusively for our Patreon members uh, coming up a bit later on this afternoon. Myself and Lewis will be doing that. We'll be here on Monday um, mm-hmm. to talk about whatever happens uh, against Spurs in the Derby. Fingers crossed that we can get a good result we can uh, get things back on track and obviously uh, cause some pain and hurt and misery to them because that makes all our lives better right yeah that'd be great i would love to see there's presumably there's going to be spurs fans there so we might even enjoy the camera cutting away to shots of sad spurs fans oh please and furious sad spurs fans furious Mourinho, and happy arsenal is that too much to ask for after this shit show of a year christmas not not this time of year exactly exactly all right well look thank you as ever for being here thanks for listening uh we'll be here on monday um until then take it easy bye bye A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.